Chapter thirty one of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty one involves a critical position. Who's that? inquired Brittles, opening the door a little way with the chain up and peeping out, shading the candle with his hand. Open the door, replied a man outside. It's the officers from Bow Street, as was sent to today. Much comforted by this assurance, Brittles opened the door to its full width and confronted a portly man in a greatcoat, who walked in without saying anything more and wiped his shoes on the mat as coolly as if he lived there. "'Just send somebody out to relieve my mate, will you, young man?' said the officer. "'He's in the gig and mine in the prad. "'Have you got a coach house here that you could put it up in for five or ten minutes?' Bittles replying in the affirmative and pointing out the building, the portly man stepped back into the garden gate and helped his companion to put up the gig, while Brittles lighted them in a state of great admiration. This done, they returned to the house, and being shown into a parlour, took off their greatcoats and hats, and showed like what they were. The man who had knocked on the door was a stout personage of middle height, aged about fifty, with shiny black hair cropped pretty close, half-whiskers, round face and sharp eyes. The other was a red-headed bony man in top boots, with a rather ill-favoured countenance and a turned-up sinister-looking nose. "'Tell your governor that Blathers and Duff is here, will you?' said the stouter man, smoothing down his hair and laying a pair of handcuffs on the table. "'Oh, good evening, master. Can I have a word with you or two in private, if you please?' This was addressed to Mr. Losburn who now made his appearance, that gentleman motioning Brittles to retire, brought in the two ladies and shut the door. This is the lady of the house, said Mr. Losburn, motioning towards Miss Maylie. Mr. Blathers made a bow. Being desired to sit down, he put his hat on the floor, and taking a chair, motioned to Duff to do the same. The latter gentleman, who did not appear quite so much accustomed to good society, or quite so much at his ease in it, one of the two seated himself. After undergoing several muscular affections of the limbs and the head of his stick into his mouth with some embarrassment. Now, with regard to this here robbery, Master, said Blathers, what are the circumstances? Mr. Losburn, who appeared desirous of gaining time, recounted them at great length and with much circumlution. Messrs. Blathers and Duff looked very knowing, meanwhile, and occasionally exchanged a nod. I can't say for certain till I see the work, of course, said Blathers, but my opinion at once is I don't mind committing myself to that extent. This wasn't done by a yokel, eh, Duff? Certainly not, replied Duff. And translating the word yokel for the benefit of the ladies, I apprehend your meaning to be that this attempt was not made by a countryman, said Mr. Losburn with a smile. That's it, Master, replied Blathers. This is all about the robbery, isn't it? All, replied the doctor. Now, what's this about this here boy that the servants are talking on, said Blathers. Nothing at all, replied the doctor. One of the frightened servants chose to take it into his head that he had something to do with this attempt to break into the house. But it's nonsense, sheer absurdity. Very easy disposed of, is it, remarked Duff. What he says is quite correct, observed Blathers, nodding his head in a confirmatory way and playing carelessly with the handcuffs as if they were a pair of castanets. 
Who is the boy? What account does he give of himself? Where did he come from? He didn't drop out of the clouds, did he, Master? Of course not, replied the doctor with a nervous glance at the two ladies. I know his whole history, and we can talk about that presently. Would you like first to see the place where the thieves made their attempt, I suppose? Certainly, rejoined Mr. Blathers. We'd better inspect the premises first and examine the servants afterwards. That's the usual way of doing business. Lights were then procured, and Messrs. Blathers and Duff, attended by the native constable, Brittles, Giles, and everybody else in short, went into the little room at the end of the passage and looked out at the window, and afterwards went round by the way of the lawn and looked in at the window, and after that had a candle handed out to inspect the shutter with, and after that a lantern to trace the footsteps with, and after that a pitchfork to poke the bushes with. This done, amidst the breathless interest of all beholders, they came in again, and Mr. Giles and Brittles were put through a melodramatic representation of their share in the previous night's adventures, which they performed some six times over, contradicting each other in not more than one important respect, the first time and not more than a dozen the last. This consummation being arrived at, Blathers and Duff cleared the room and held a long council together compared with which, for secrecy and solemnity, a consultation of great doctors on the knottiest point in medicine would be mere child's play. Meanwhile, the doctor walked up and down the next room in a very uneasy state, and Mrs. Maley and Rose looked on with anxious faces. Upon my word, he said, making a halt after a great number of very rapid turns, I hardly know what to do. Surely, said Rose, the poor child's story faithfully repeated to these men will be sufficient to exonerate him. I doubt it, my dear young lady, said the doctor, shaking his head. I don't think it would exonerate him either with them or with the legal functionaries of a higher grade. What is he after all, they would say, a runaway? Judged by mere worldly considerations and probabilities, his story is a very doubtful one. You believe it, surely, interrupted Rose. I believe it, strange as it is, and perhaps I may be an old fool for doing so, rejoined the doctor, but I don't think it's exactly the tale for a practical police officer, nevertheless. Why not, demanded Rose? Because, my pretty cross-examiner, replied the doctor, because viewed with their eyes, and there are many ugly points about it, he can only prove the parts that look ill, and none of those that look well. Confound the fellows, they will have the why and the wherefore, and will take nothing for granted. On his own showing, you see, he has been a companion of thieves for some time past. He has been carried to a police officer on a charge of picking that gentleman's pocket. He has been taken away, forcibly, from that gentleman's house, to a place which he cannot describe or point out, and of the situation which he has not the remotest idea. He is brought down to Chertsey by men who seem to have taken a violent fancy to him, whether he will or no, and is put through a window to rob a house, and then just at the very moment when he is going to alarm the inmates, and so do the very thing that would set him all to right, there rushes into the way a blundering dog of a half-bred button and shoots him, as if on purpose to prevent his doing any good for himself. Do you see all of this? I see it, of course, replied Rose, smiling at the doctor's impetuosity, but still I do not see anything in it to incriminate the poor child. No, replied the doctor, of course not. Bless the bright eyes of your sex. They never see whether for good or bad more than one side of any question, and that is always the one which first presents itself to them. 
having given vent to this result of experience the doctor put his hands into his pockets and walked up and down the room with an even greater rapidity than before the more i think of it said the doctor the more i see that it will occasion endless trouble and difficulty if we put these men in possession of the boy's real story i am certain it will not be believed and even if they can do nothing to him in the end still the dragging it forward and giving publicity to all the doubts that will be cast upon it must interfere materially with your benevolent plan of rescuing him from misery oh what is to be done cried rose dear dear why do they send for these people why indeed exclaimed mrs maylie i would not have had them here for the world all i know is said mr losburn at last sitting down with a kind of desperate calmness that we must try and carry it off with a bold face the object is a good one and that must be our excuse the boy has strong symptoms of fever upon him and it is no condition to be talked to any more that's one comfort we must make the best of it and if bad be the best it's no fault of ours come in well master said blathers entering the room followed by his colleague and making the door fast before he said any more this warn't a put-up thing and what the devil's a put-up thing demanded the doctor impatiently we call it a put-up robbery lady said blathers turning to them as if he pitied their ignorance but had a contempt for the doctors when the servants is in it nobody suspected them in this case said mrs maylie very likely not ma'am replied blathers but they might have been in it for all that more likely on that wery account said duff we find it was a town hand said blathers continued his report for the style of work is first rate very pretty indeed it is remarked duff in an undertone there was two of em in it continued blathers and they had a boy with em that's plain from the size of the window that's all to be said at present we'll see this lad that you've got upstairs at once if you please perhaps they will take something to drink first mrs maylie said the doctor his face brightening as if some new thought had occurred to him oh to be sure exclaimed rose eagerly you shall have it immediately if you will why thank you miss said blathers drawing his coat sleeve across his mouth it's dry work this sort of duty anything that's handy miss don't put yourself out on our way of our accounts what should it be asked the doctor following the young lady to the sideboard little bit of a drop of spirits master if it's all the same replied blathers it's a cold ride from london ma'am and i always find that spirits comes home warmer to the feelings this interesting communication was addressed to mrs maylie who received it very graciously while it was being conveyed to her the doctor slipped out of the room ah said mr blathers not holding his wine-glass by the stem but grasping the bottom between the thumb and forefinger of his left hand placing it in front of his chest i've seen a good many pieces of business like this in my time ladies the crack down in the black lane at edmonton blathers said mr duff insisting his colleague's memory that was something in this way wasn't it rejoined mr blathers that was done by conky chickweed that was you always gave that to him replied duff it was the family pet i tell you conky hadn't any more to do with it than i had get out retorted mr blathers i know better do you mind that time when conky was robbed of his money though what a start that was better than any novel book i ever see what was that inquired rose anxious to encourage any symptoms of good humour in the unwelcome visitors it was a robbery miss that hardly anybody would have been down upon said blathers this here conky chickweed 
Gonky means nosy ma'am, interposed Duff. Of course the lady knows that, don't she? demanded Mr. Blathers. Always interrupting you, our partner. This here Conky Chipweed, miss, kept a public house over Battlebridge Way. He had a cellar where a good many young lords went to see cockfighting and badger drawing and that. And a very intellectual manner the sport was conducted in, for I've seen him often. He weren't one of the family at that time, and one night he was robbed of 327 guineas in a canvas bag that was stole out of his bedroom in the dead of night by a tall man with a black patch over his eye, who had concealed himself under the bed, and after committing the robbery, jumped slap out of the window, which is only a story high. He was very quick about it, but Conky was quick too, for he fired a blunderbuss after him and roused the neighbourhood. They set up a hue and cry directly, and when they came to look about them, they found that Conky had hit the robber, for there was traces of blood all the way to St. Palings, a good distance off, and there they lost them. However, he had made it off with the blunt, and consequently the name of Mr. Chickweed, licensed Whitler, appeared in the Gazette, among other bankrupts, and all manner of benefits and subscriptions. And I don't know what all was got up for the poor man, who was in a very low state of mind about his loss, and went up and down the streets for three or four days, of pulling his hair off in such a desperate manner that many people were afraid he might be going to make away with himself. One day he came up to the office all in a hurry and had a private interview with the magistrate who, after a deal of talk, rings the bell and orders Jem Spires in. Jem was an active officer and tells him, go and assist Mr Chickweed in apprehending the man who has robbed his house. I see him, Spires, said Chickweed. Passed my house yesterday morning. Well, why didn't you up and collar him, says Spires. I was so struck all of a heap that you might have fractured my skull with a toothpick, says the poor man. But we're sure to have him for between ten and eleven o'clock at night. He passed again. Spires no sooner heard this than he put some clean linen and a comb in his pocket in case he should have to stop a day or two. And away he goes and sets himself down at one of the public house windows behind the little red curtain with his hat on. All ready to bolt out at a moment's notice. He was smoking his pipe here late at night when all of a sudden Chickweed roars out, Here he is! Stop, thief, murder. Jem Spires dashes out, and there he sees Chickweed a-tearing down the street, full cry. Away goes Spires, on goes Chickweed, round turns the people, everybody roars out thieves, and Chickweed himself keeps a-shouting all the time like mad. Spires loses sight of him a minute as he turns the corner, shoots round, sees a little crowd, dives in, which is the man. Damn me, says Chickweed, I've lost him again. It was a remarkable occurrence, but he weren't to be seen nowhere, so they went back to the public house. Next morning, Spires took his old place and looked out from behind the curtain for a tall man with a black patch over his eye, till his own two eyes ached again. At last he couldn't help shutting them to ease him a minute, and the very moment he did so, he hears Chickweed roaring out, Here he is! Off he starts once more with Chickweed halfway down the street ahead of him, and after twice as long a run as the yesterday's one, the man's lost again. This was done once or twice more, till one half of the neighbours gave out that Mr Chickweed had been robbed by the devil who was playing tricks with him afterwards, and the other half that poor Mr Chickweed had gone mad with grief. What did Jem Spires say? inquired the doctor who had returned to the room shortly after the commencement of the story. 
Jem Spires, resumed the officer, for a long time said nothing at all. He listened to everything without seeming to, which showed he understood his business. But one morning he walked into the bar and taking out his snuff box, says, Chickweed, I've found out who'd done this here robbery. Have you? said Chickweed. Oh, my dear Spires, only let me have vengeance, and I shall die contented. Oh, my dear Spires, where is the villain? Come, said Spires, offering him a pinch of snuff. None of that gammon, you did it yourself. So he had, and a good bit of money he'd made by it too. And nobody would ever have found out if he hadn't been so precious anxious to keep up appearances, said Mr. Blathers, putting down his wine glass and clinking the handcuffs together. Very curious indeed, observed the doctor. Now, if you please, you can walk upstairs. If you please, sir, returned Mr. Blathers, following Mr. Loosebourne. The two officers ascended to Oliver's bedroom. Mr. Giles preceding the party with a lighted candle. Oliver had been dozing, but looked worse, and was, and was more feverish than he had appeared yet. Being assisted by the doctor, he managed to sit up in bed for a minute or so, and looked at the strangers without at all understanding what was going forward. In fact, without seeming to recollect where he was, or what had been passing. This, said Mr. Losburn, speaking softly, but with great vehemence notwithstanding, this is the lad who, being accidentally wounded by a spring-gun in some boyish trespass on Mr. Waddyer-Callum's grounds at the back here, comes to the house for assistance this morning, and is immediately laid hold of and maltreated by that ingenious gentleman with a candle in his hand, who has placed his life in considerable danger, as I can professionally certify. Messrs. Blathers and Duff looked at Mr. Giles as he was thus recommended to their notice. The bewildered butler gazed from them towards Oliver and from Oliver towards Mr. Losburn, with a most ludicrous mixture of fear and perplexity. You don't mean to deny that, I suppose, said the doctor, laying Oliver gently down again. It was all done for the, for the best, sir, answered Giles. I'm sure I thought it was the boy or I wouldn't have meddled with him. I am not of an inhuman disposition, sir. Thought it was what boy, inquired the senior officer. The housebreaker's boy, sir, replied Giles. They certainly had a boy. Well, do you think so now, inquired Blathers. Think what now, replied Giles, looking vacantly at his questioner. Think that's the same boy, stupid head, enjoyed Blathers impatiently. I don't know, I really don't know, said Giles with a rueful countenance. I couldn't swear to him. What do you think, asked Mr. Blathers. I don't know what to think, replied poor Giles. I don't think it is the boy. Indeed, I'm almost certain that it isn't. You know, it can't be. Has this man been a-drinking, sir? inquired Blathers, turning to the doctor. What a precious muddle-headed chap you are, said Duff, addressing Mr. Giles with supreme contempt. Mr. Loosburn had been feeling the patient's pulse during this short dialogue, but he now rose from the chair by the bedside and remarked that if the officers had any doubts upon the subject, they would perhaps like to step into the next room and have brittles before them. Acting upon this suggestion, they adjourned to a neighbouring apartment where Mr. Brittles, being called in, involved himself and his respected superior in such a wonderful maze of fresh contradictions and impossibilities as tended to throw no particular light on anything. But the fact of his own strong mystification, except indeed his declarations that he shouldn't know the real boy if he were put before him that instant, that he had only taken Oliver to be he because Mr. Giles had said he was and that Mr. Giles had five minutes previously admitted in the kitchen that he began to be very much afraid he'd been a little too hasty. 
among other ingenious surmises. The question was then raised whether Mr. Giles had really hit anybody, and upon examination of the fellow pistol to that which he had fired, it turned out to have no more destructive loading than gunpowder and brown paper, a discovery which made a considerable impression on everybody but the doctor, who had drawn the ball about ten minutes before. Upon no one, however, did it make a greater impression than on Mr. Giles himself, who, after labouring for some hours under the fear of having mortally wounded a fellow creature, eagerly caught at this new idea and favoured it to the utmost. Finally, the officers, without troubling themselves very much about Oliver, left the Chertsey constable in the house and took up their rest for that night in the town, promising to return the next morning. With the next morning there came a rumour that two men and a boy were in the cage at Kingston, who had been apprehended overnight under suspicious circumstances, and to Kingston Messrs Blathers and Duff journeyed accordingly. The suspicious circumstances, however, resolving themselves on investigation into the one fact that they had been discovered sleeping under a haystack, although a great crime is only punishable by imprisonment, and is, in the merciful eye of the English law, and its comprehensive love of all the king's subjects, held to be no satisfactory proof in the absence of all other evidence that the sleeper or sleepers had committed burglary accompanied with violence, and therefore rendered themselves liable to the punishment of death. But Messrs Blathers and Duff came back again as wise as they went. In short, after some more examination and a great deal more conversation, a neighbouring magistrate was readily induced to take the joint bail of Mrs. Maylie and Mr. Losburne for Oliver's appearance, if he should ever be called upon. And Blathers and Duff, being rewarded with a couple of guineas, returned to town which were divided opinions on the subject of their expedition. The latter gentleman, on a mature consideration of all the circumstances, inclining to the belief that the burglarious attempt had originated with the family pet, and the former being equally disposed to concede the full merit to the great Mr. Conkey Chickweed. Meanwhile, Oliver gradually throve and prospered under the united care of Mrs. Maylie, Rose, and the kind-hearted Mr. Looseburn. If fervent prayers gushing from the hearts overcharged with gratitude be heard in heaven, and if they be not what prayers are, the blessings which the orphan child called down upon them sunk into their souls, diffusing peace and happiness. End of chapter. 31.